Hello, I'm Kim Katola, host of Cradle My Heart Radio. Our mission is preventing abortion and helping those it hurts. And our vision is to bring abortion recovery to the church, reaching out to equip and encourage pastors, elders, ministry leaders, and others so they can minister God's love to the millions of Christians personally impacted by this moral crisis of our time. Saving lives and healing hearts, this is Cradle My Heart Radio. Find us online at cradlemyheart.org. Where can you find God's voice in the noise on reproductive choice? For over a million women and men each year, the question goes beyond politics to become much more pressing and personal, both before and after the choice. And we are called to love the little children just as God does. Listen to Cradle My Heart Radio with your host, Kim Katola, speaker, writer, and broadcaster, sharing God's truth to prevent abortion and help those it hurts. Learn more at cradlemyheart.org. Thank you so much for being here today. It is a true a joy and privilege to be able to present to you a voice you may be familiar with, but if not, wow, you are going to be <laughs> you are going to be educated, edified, and uh, just in for an enjoyable conversation with our guest Ryan Bomberger. Ryan is co-founder and chief creative officer of the Radiance Foundation, and he's also author of the book Not Equal: Civil Rights Gone Wrong. And among his many, many credits, Ryan's bio has this detail, which I love, Ryan. You've been denounced by Planned Parenthood, the ACLU, George Soros' Media Matters for America, the NAACP, and many other liberal organizations and politicians. (laughs) Right on. (laughs) Feels good. Welcome to Cradle My Heart Radio. Uh, And and maybe we'll, you know what, just to give us some encouragement for the battle, you know, some of us try to open up a conversation over the dinner table, you know, when the extended family's present and we get beat down, right? <laughs> I mean, it can be right. really hard to have some of these conversations, but you have done battle with some real uh, Goliaths in the, in the arena. And what would you, what do you say to someone who uh, feels intimidated or, you know, feels as if they're just outgunned? Well, just remember that um, <laughs> he who lives in us is is greater and stronger than you know the spirit that lives in the world that that tries to run this world. And so, when we think about being outgunned, we think about we're not in the majority. First of all, as the remnant, we're really never going to be in the majority. It's okay, but we have the majority actually within us. I mean, if God is on our side, I mean, there's nothing actually that can stop us from doing what what is in His will. I think people forget that. I think of First Corinthians fifteen fifty eight, where it talks about, you know, just be steadfast, don't be movable, and there's nothing that you do in the Lord, none of, nothing that you do to labor in the Lord is ever in vain. And I want to encourage people because it's so easy to be so overwhelmed by this cultural tsunami that is washing over us, and it just feels helpless. But we're not. And I just think of slavery abolitionists every time I think of oh my gosh, I want to give up, this is crazy, this is getting more and more surreal. I think of slavery abolitionists, and I thank God, as someone who was brown, that they didn't give up, that they faced defeat after defeat after defeat, and they never gave up. And victory, I mean, this is part of you know, living life as a Christian, is we have to expect the victory. If we're going to you know, fight the lie, which is what we're doing on so many, so many levels here, we have to 
expect the victory. That has to be part of our whole vision. Otherwise, our fight is worthless. Mm, God within us is the majority. What a beautiful expression. All right, Ryan. So uh, you and I cross paths in the pregnancy help community. Uh, You've been a frequent banquet speaker and um, helping to fundraise for those great organizations. And you've also been an adoption advocate. And part of the reason I think that you feel so strongly about that, of course, is your own story of adoption. And I want to give you the chance to share that because it's encouraging and inspiring. And from there, we'll move to what, you know, what you, where your activism and advocacy is taking you today. Well, yes, it's always good to start at the beginning because <laughs> then you better understand <laughs> who this person is. Who is yes. this crazy guy talking? Well, I, I grew up in a crazy situation, you could say, and I wouldn't want it any other way. But I grew up in a tiny family of 15. I have six brothers. I have six sisters. Ten of us were adopted. We are just, you know, white, black, Native American, Vietnamese, mixed, able, disabled, just those that the world would so easily write off because we were unplanned. And the world's mindset is that, oh, wait, you're unplanned. You're going to be unwanted and unloved. And yet my parents shattered that whole myth of the unwanted child. I was the the first one in the family, and I am that fringe example that is always defining the injustice of abortion. My birth mom experienced the horror and the violence of rape. And although she was a victim of that violence, she was a victim of rape, she didn't make me a victim of abortion. And every day I look at my four kids, I'm just reminded of her incredible courage. I mean, how did she go through nine months of a, of a traumatic pregnancy? I believe someone had to have have spoken life, had to have spoken hope into her situation because she had options. She could have aborted me. In fact, the world still says, of course, this is the reason. I, I am that 1% that is used 100% of the time to justify abortion. And so when you look at abortions in our country in 2020, there were 930,000 abortions. It's actually been increasing since 2017. Less than 1% of those abortions are due to rape-related pregnancies. And yet, every single human life, planned or unplanned, humanly planned or unplanned, has God-given purpose. You know, the circumstances of our conception, which people don't seem to understand this, the circumstances of our conception don't change the condition of our worth. And none of us control those circumstances. And I just thank God for my parents, Henry and Andrea Bomberger, who didn't fixate on on how I came to be. They just knew who God wanted me to be, what he created me to be. And that's why they unleashed incredible love. They, they unleashed purpose in all of our family's life, not just the ones who were adopted, but the ones who were biological. Who many of them are, a number of them are also adopted parents. A number of my nieces and nephews are also adoptive parents. So the legacy of love continues. And so that's why I am so passionate, married to my best friend, Bethany. We have four kiddos two of whom were also adopted. So this explains why I'm that crazy guy Mm. that will speak these truths about the human condition and about our inherent and irrevocable equal value. Ryan Baumberger is our guest, and as you have heard, he is an adoptee, and he's walking the talk as an adoptive parent now. And it's, it's, um, you know, so counterintuitive that adoption would be 
a, a controversy that people would try to put forth as some sort of an evil in the world today. The backlash against adoption when the Dobbs case was decided. And um, was it Justice Barrett who was talking about, look, the ability for, for you know birth mothers to place children for adoption obviates a need for abortion. You can give life and and, you know, then place that child lovingly in a family. And wow, it was as if you said, you know, you could you could kill children by dismembering them, which is what abortion does <laughs> in terms of the backlash that she got. Why is there such strong opposition to just the idea of adoption? It's not an organic thing, is it, Ryan? Is there is there an agenda and some actors who are behind this? Well, absolutely. I mean, they call themselves pro-choice, those who are radically pro-abortion. And we all know it's faux-choice. It doesn't actually, I mean, their, their worldview does not allow for any other option other than the violence of abortion, as we saw in the response to Justice Barrett, who was an adoptive mother herself. In fact, if you remember, you know, New York Times bestselling author, Dr., I hate calling him this, Dr. Ibram X. Kendi, who wrote the book How to Be an Anti-Racist, labeled Justice Barrett, and her husband, who happened to be white and who had adopted black children, labeled them colonizers and said they had a savior complex. And my response to, to him and several articles that I had written about this is that he doesn't understand adoption. Clearly, he doesn't understand adoption. He's not an adoptive parent himself. Uh, and as a black individual who, who demonizes white people for adopting children who aren't the same color, I didn't realize that love had those parameters. I didn't realize you can only love people of the same color but that aside, he doesn't understand adoption to say that they had a savior complex. Like my parents, who were also white, they didn't have a savior complex. They had a love reflex. And the pro-abortion side doesn't see that. They don't understand it. And many of them don't want to understand it. And so they'll demonize adoption. And, and this is because it, it's so contrary to the narcissistic worldview that you have to embrace as someone who is so relentlessly pro-abortion, that you can only demonize adoption. I mean, Planned Parenthood does the same thing. In fact, in one of their things called Tool for Educators, they talk about how it is far more psychologically damaging to a woman to choose adoption than to simply have an abortion. In fact, they they say, and this is, of course, disproven by peer-reviewed study after peer-reviewed study, but saying that there is no negative mental health outcome to choosing abortion. Of course, we know that's not true, as evidenced by millions of women, uh, sadly, who've made that irreversible decision. Of course, as Christians, we understand that there's wholeness and healing. But the other side hates adoption because there is this worship of the act of abortion because they believe it's empowering. And this is the problem with our culture. We, We need to distinguish between being empowered and being fooled by those in power. Ryan Bomberger is our guest. You can learn more about his ministry at the Radiance Foundation, which we'll have linked in the program notes at cradlemyheart.org. And Ryan, you know, I mean, I, I think you've said this really well, uh, and also, you know, identifying Planned Parenthood as one of the actors who are advancing this narrative that adoption is somehow harmful to children and families, when in fact adoption is a way that families throughout time have built family um, it it's just, you know, um, I appreciate it that you are exposing that 
lie and you're exposing their agenda because they're they're profiting from people not choosing abortion by selling people uh, excuse me not choosing adoption by selling abortion to people instead tell me how you feel the whole uh, CRT and the LGBTQIA plus movement have played into the vilifying of adoption because you know again if it if it simply comes down to well, white people shouldn't be allowed to adopt children of color um is it as you say is that just is it as simple as that that that, that it's just another act of dismantling the patriarchy from their point of view what we need to be dismantling is sin <laughs> This patriarchy, which is blamed, it's, it's the scapegoat for everything. Yes. So here, here, you can't win because you have, for instance, the National Association of Black Social Workers, who in 1972 decreed that no black child should ever be adopt, adopted by white parents, ever. When did that they happen? Reiterate, this was 1972. Okay. I think I, yes, I vaguely remember. Yes. And they, this is also supported by a number of other prominent child welfare organizations. It was reiterated in the 90s. They still hold to that position today. In fact, critical race theory is driving so much of this. In fact, I've been in debates on, I remember when Fox was in a debate with, you know, some pro-abortion activists who were, I mean, it's amazing how much stuff gets distorted. They're saying, for instance, the only reason why black children are in foster care is because of white supremacy, is because of racism. Like, wait a minute. (laughs) More white children are actually in foster care by, by sheer numbers than than black children. In fact, the, the foster care system is constituted by, anyway, it varies between 20 and 22% are black, um, 40, 42 to 45% are white. I mean, this is so insane that everything is blamed on systemic racism, except for the industry that actually kills, disproportionately kills black children <laughs> every single day. There's no racism to these people, to the to these activists in that industry, but there's only racism when it comes to adoption. In fact, this is what they're saying. So they say white people can't adopt because it's ra- it's white supremacy. But then they say, on the, same, on the other hand, they're saying white people are so racist that they don't want to adopt black children. Like, wait, which is it? Because neither one of them is actually true. But this is the thing. You almost cannot win. So that's how critical race theory is is influencing adoption. Sadly, it has infected one of the greatest evangelical adoption organizations, Bethany Christian Services, that used to be passionately pro-life, and since, you know, leadership changed, they have wholeheartedly embraced critical race theory, and this is their position now. They say that it's dangerous for white families to adopt black and brown children, but they're perfectly okay now with placing children in same-sex homes. So there's so much that critical race theory has... So many, so many ways that critical race theory has impacted um, the the adoption world to where they want to actually change the what's called the Multi Ethnic Placement Act, which disallows race. And we all know race is a is a construct. It's it's only served to divide us. It's destructive. But Multi Ethnic Placement Act disallows agencies from using race. I'm putting that in quotes or color as the determining factor. Well, Bethany Christian Services and all these other agencies that have embraced critical race theory want to change that law and make race the determining factor. And who benefits from that? Not the children languishing in foster care. 
certainly not kids like me. I was adopted out of the foster care system. A number of my siblings were. So that, along with LGBTQ plus 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 activism, that is now saying. In fact, I don't know if you remember. Last summer, the New York Times declared that any that any Christian who is unwilling to embrace LGBT ideology is unfit to not only adopt children who identify as LGBTQ in the foster care system, but any of their peers, which means anyone else. So you have some states that are actually disallowing people from being qualified foster parents because they do not uphold the junk science of LGBTQ ideology. And this benefits no one but special interests, and that's not why adoption exists. Adoption exists to serve the child, the best interests of the child, not special interest groups. It's incredible to me, Ryan, that in the time that has passed since I last interviewed you, we might have been talking about too many aborted. It might have been contemporaneous, the billboard campaign that you had, and that in that span of years, maybe how long ago was the too many aborted campaign? I'm giving you a chance to talk about what that was, but how long ago was that? That was in 2010. That was when we first began the Radiance Foundation. So 10, 12 years now, we've come to the place where upholding a Christian value disqualifies a family for adopting children. It's It's not about tolerance. It's It's never been about tolerance. It's just incredible. So talk about too many aborted that, that, as you said, launched the Radiance Foundation, because I think it was such an effective public education campaign. And, you know, there are still people that you can say, hey, you know, these are the rates, this is the reality of it, and they'll they'll be dazzled, amazed, they'll reject it as truth. Um, It was was an amazing undertaking, too many aborted. Tell us about that. Well, we decided as a fledgling 501c3 that we were going to tackle the easiest topics possible, (laughs) abortion (laughs) and race. In the South, we were based in Atlanta, Georgia, and so we decided that we were going to address the hugely disproportionate impact of abortion in the black community. And it was the first public ad campaign ever to actually deal with that aspect of the destruction of abortion. And so my wife, Bethany, and I, probably a little naive, just thought, well, they're going to love, they're going to love us, because here my wife's Greek and Italian, and I'm, I'm mixed. I'm Nigerian and Ukrainian. So I'm black and white mixed. And I thought they're going to love, you know, our marriage, which represents so much of the change of America. They're going to love our stories. My my wife was a single mom, and she faced an unplanned pregnancy as a teacher. And, you know, here I am adopted in a family of 15 and also an adoptive father. And we're adoptive parents. They're going to love us. You know, that didn't happen at all. And so we launched this billboard campaign that said, first, address the whole reality that abortion rates are anywhere between three to five times higher in the black community. And at that time, they were five times higher in New York City. So we placed billboards that said black children are an endangered species, too many aborted.com. Of course, one is too many. And so when we launched this, oh my gosh, New York Times, NPR, ABC, CNN, MSNBC, I mean, it was everywhere. And they didn't know how to deal with me. Because I didn't fit their narrative. Because apparently, according to mainstream media, the only people who are pro-life are middle-aged white. Yeah, male you're supposed GOP to be politicians. a cisgendered <laughs> white male, weren't you? Oh wait, oh, no. Oh my gosh. <laughs> they their narrative was shattered. In fact, I remember NPR, you know, interviewed me offline for about 45 minutes. I could tell that they were fishing for something because it was a long interview. 
Well, on the show, All Things Considered, which is what they were interviewing me for, it was like three and a half minutes. They don't mention me at all. I designed the campaign. Our organization launched it in conjunction with Georgia Right to Life. And I'm nowhere to be found in the article. In fact, they had no image of the billboard initially in the article Mm -hmm. until I complained. But they at least put the image of the billboard in. But don't mention me. And so they had didn't mention me. And so they had three pro-abortion perspective and one pro-life perspective, which was my colleague, Catherine Davis. But we realized really quickly that mainstream media has no interest in objective truth. Well, and, you know, I think if I remember, and you can correct me on this, but not only do they have no interest in objective truth, one of the areas of follow-up to your, you know, black babies are an endangered species claim was to uh, talk about the uh, misappropriation of the stock photo of a black child. We start talking about this, you know, the photo used, and was this a real, you know, just just a black child? Was it stock photo? Where do you get this photo? And it completely, you know, uh, sidestepping the point of your messaging. Well, they have to do that because they don't have a legitimate argument. They have no defense for the indefensible. And so they'll go to that. And they did that actually with another organization, friends of ours from Heroic Media, about the young girl that was displayed in, in the billboard. Because they don't have a legit argument to justify the violence of abortion. Mm-hmm. I mean, are, are you not upset that over 300,000 black lives are wiped out by the violence of abortion? That Planned Parenthood is the number one killer of black lives? And going back to the whole CRT thing, Planned Parenthood calls itself an anti-racist organization. How are you an anti-racist organization if you're the number one killer of black lives? They kill more black lives in two weeks than the KKK killed in an entire century. Mm. But don't worry, critical race theory, get, they get to be these, these champions of anti-racism, which just goes to show you the complete fraud of the anti-racist movement. And we were denounced as racist for these campaigns. It was insane. We were denounced by the NAACP, which... Perhaps maybe we can talk about in the next segment, but we were denounced by the NAACP who called our billboard campaign where we said black and beautiful, too many aborted.com, put those in the Oakland uh, area, San Francisco Bay area, and they denounced as horribly racist and said that it gave the false impression that Planned Parenthood kills black babies. There's there's no false impression. Planned Parenthood kills over 300,000 black babies, white babies, and every human between. It's devastating no matter the color. And so part of the David versus Goliath experiences that I went through was coming up against an organization that I grew up revering, the NAACP. I thought, how can they not be on our side? They claim that black lives matter. Well, when do they matter? Because they only matter at certain times, and they don't truly matter. They matter in and out of the womb. So we are going to have a second part of our conversation with Ryan Bomberger, and I hope you'll be able to tune in when that is posted on our podcast or listen for the broadcast on Faith Talk 1360. But Ryan, we've got about uh, maybe two and a half minutes remaining on this segment. So just give us the thumbnail of what happened when you called the NAACP the National Association for the Abortion of Colored People. They didn't like it. (laughs) They didn't like it at all. In fact, and this is part of being a factivist as opposed to an activist. But I wrote an op-ed, and I called them. Like you said, I said NAACP, National Association for the Abortion of Colored People, (laughs) using their own documentation, you know, invoking their their resolutions where they passed radical resolutions supporting abortion. 
and then claiming that they were neutral on abortion. So I called them out on that. I called them out on their solidarity with Planned Parenthood. In fact, when I wrote the article, they were doing, their president, Benjamin Jealous at the time, was doing a $1,000 a plate dinner for Planned Parenthood of Southeast Georgia. Mm. And they were saying, oh, wait, no, we're neutral on abortion. No, you're not. And so they took us to court. They sued me. They sued the Radiance Foundation two years in federal court. We were protected and defended by Alliance Defending Freedom that my civil rights as a brown person exercising one of my most basic rights, free speech, uh, was, was protected by NAACP, or I'm sorry, protected by ADF against the NAACP. And two years in federal court, we, we lost at the first federal level, and then we won two years into it um, when we appealed the insane decision where the first judge ruled against us, said that we could not ever parody the NAACP's name, that we could never mention the NAACP or its its legitimate name, as the judge said. Um, but the legitimate name for them, really, when you look at their radical pro-abortion position, they truly are the National Association for the Abortion wow. of Colored People. And then after you won and you prevailed and your free speech was protected in the courts, they apologized and invited you to come and bring your incredible communication skills to bear in their organization. I know you're joking, right? That didn't happen. Did <laughs> <laughs> no, there was no invitation. There was no love. In there was fact, no there apology. was just none at all. They, wow. they just thought that they were going to win. Wow. In fact, they were so confident of winning. They were suing us for, I mean, I think it was over 800 thousand dollars and i thought this is a joke because i'm not even sure if my wife and i have eight hundred dollars at this at that time (laughs) um but it's just amazing because people often get scared into standing down and we can't courage doesn't need a crowd it doesn't need a majority courage just needs someone with conviction Wow. Ryan Bomberger, our guest, and we will continue the conversation in part two, and you can find out when and where and how to listen to that at cradlemyheart.org. And of course, we'll link to Ryan's books and resources and his organization at cradlemyheart.org as well. Ryan Bomberger from the Radiance Foundation. Thanks so much for being with us this time. This is Cradle My Heart Radio with Kim Katola preventing abortion, and helping those it hurts. Please get in touch with Kim. Find out more at cradlemyheart.org. You can listen to the podcast on all platforms.